Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, I virtually sit down with Jeff Mindell. Jeff is a Los Angeles-based photographer and creative. He's also the husband to Kelly Mindell of Studio DIY. Kelly has been on the podcast before and she shared her experience with fertility, pregnancy loss, and adoption. And in this episode, Jeff is sharing his point of view and perspective and experience um, of their journey through fertility, pregnancy loss, and adoption. He talks about what it meant to him as a man going through this experience, some of the discourses he came up against. He also discusses the power of support. He explores his own privilege in the experience. And we also talk about fatherhood and parenthood and what that experience has been like for him, in particular in adopting a son who has a different skin color than he does. I am so appreciative of Jeff coming on and sharing his perspective. I think oftentimes in when we're talking about fertility and pregnancy loss, we're talking to women who are going through it, which is very important because it's happening in their bodies. But usually there, and often there is a partner involved and we often miss including them in the conversation. So I'm really excited to be sharing Jeff's point of view and his story. I've always really admired both him and Kelly's ability to be vulnerable and authentic and open books and sharing their story. So I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're listening. And I can't wait to share Jeff's story with all of you. So let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to get a chance to sit down and talk with you, especially considering the fact that last year I had this same chance with your wife to talk about these things. So I'm just, I'm so glad to have you here. No, really. Thank you for having me. Kelly said wonderful things about her conversation with you and I had a chance to listen back and it was really great what I think you guys had a chance to chat about. Um, so I, I'm very happy that I, you know, you're asking me to give my side of the story. And on a complete side note, if I remember correctly, when you came over our house, didn't you give Arlo a really cute pair of little shorts? I did. Those little peach shorts. Yeah. I wore those to the zoo the other day and got so many compliments. They were adorable. So thank you for those too. I went, I think I saw that on Instagram and I, I messaged Kelly and I was like, those shorts are still going strong. I remember thinking they were going to be too small when I got them, but they they clearly have some give. He's small for his age. Yeah. like he, So he actually still fits in a lot of like 12 month clothes even. So it's great. Oh, it made me so happy. Um, and I'm just, I'm so, I'm so glad to get a chance to talk to you. And it was so great to talk to Kelly. And, you know, I think that oftentimes in conversations around when it comes to fertility or pregnancy or even adoption, we, we tend to lose the dad's side of the story, right? I don't know. I think that oftentimes a lot of what's written out there and a lot of podcasts, we hear about mom because a lot of obviously what's going on on is connected to her body and therefore her experience. Um, But I'm so interested in including dads in the conversation. A majority of my uh, research and and actual clinical work is looking at um, dads, particularly postpartum depression in dads and anxiety. 
But I think just overall, I think that we need to be including dads more in the conversation in terms of, you know, demystifying and destigmatizing the idea that dads go through emotional experiences as well. Um, so I'm just so grateful that your your willingness to hop on here and and share with me your your side of the story. Of course, I'm an open book. So whatever you'd like to jump into, I'm happy to chat. Okay. So when did you, Jeff, know that you wanted to become a dad? Like, did you have a vision for what that was going to look like? Oh, man. Um, at li- like ever since I can remember. I love kids so, so, so much. Like when I was younger growing up, I was a camp counselor at the camp that I went to when I was a kid. I grew up just in that environment where you're just, I loved being surrounded by kids and I, I loved the the responsibility of having this group of kids that was looking up to me as maybe like an older adult and teaching them, you know, how to swim and life skills and, and sports and fishing and all these things that we did in the summertime. And I had, I had such a great time. And I remember thinking, Someday, sooner than later, I want this for myself. When at the end of at the end of each day, the kids would leave me and they would go home to their families, and I was like, oh, I want this like all the time. So it was really fortuitous when I met Kelly, and we both didn't really feel weird about the fact that at such a young age, we we bonded over the fact that we both wanted to be parents, and not just parents, but we wanted to be young parents. Um, we knew we wanted to have big families, and to do that, we were like, "Well, let's just let's just start at an early age. We're 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 in love, and and you know, we kind of felt like the world is our oyster at this point. So, I kind of always knew that it was the path that I wanted to go down. I think I remember when I sat down and talked to Kelly that she even said something like, "You know." at your wedding or like your wedding night, um, the two of you were like, we can have, we can have a family now. We can have kids now. You know, it's like, we can do this now. Um, I mean like on our specific wedding night, we were starving and that (laughs) night we were like, let's just maybe go to sleep and talk about this in the morning. Yeah. Um, Because who eats at their wedding? But you know, but the the next day, yes, we're like, let's do this. See, this is why it's fun to get both perspectives. You know, it's like, how how, how is this story remembered? I actually remember my husband and I on our wedding night, we went to Jack in the Box. Like, we, we after after our wedding, because we were starving. And we were like... Our, our guests we... ate like kings and queens. And then we were like, I think I might have had like a single yeah. taco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you and Kelly, you know, you guys bonded over both of your desires to become a parent and a parent young and to have a family early. Um, at what point do you recall, um, infertility becoming a word to describe your experience in, in your journey to becoming a parent? So I never really thought of it like as a word that described our situation. Like when we first decided that we wanted to have kids, it was like, all right, we have a lot of time. Like we had time on our side. We, like I said before, we were young. So we kind of just were like, let's start trying. And the background, if for those of your listeners that might not know, like my wife had a pretty storied medical history. And even at a young age, she was told by her doctors that she wasn't going to be able to have children as easily as somebody who wasn't in her situation. She had um, a rare form of stomach cancer at age 12. So even 
we kind of had this baggage going into it, knowing that we might be up against the wall and have trouble when the time comes that we wanted to pursue a family. Um, so in the very beginning, we were like, we can, we can just do this and we can, we can try to have kids naturally. And should the time come, we absolutely had that conversation where we were like, we can totally see a doctor that specializes in people like us that might have a little bit more of an issue getting pregnant naturally. Um, and even when we went to the doctor, the doctor that we did find here in LA, um, I never thought of it as like infertility. Like the doctor called it a fertility specialist as though like we're helping you with fertility as opposed to like, we're helping you with a problem like infertility. So I kind of had this like very positive attitude about it. Cause I knew again, going into it, we're going to have an issue. So there wasn't really any like surprises. So we got to that point and it was like a really wonderful environment. And we went through the various tests and processes and, um, you know, monitoring everything that we could until we got to, um, the point that we did where, where we decided that adoption was going to be the right path for us. I, can I just, can I just say how that's so, that's so, the words are so powerful, right? And I just, I love that it sounds like the person that you were working with that was supporting the two of you through your fertility, you know, support, use the word fertility instead of infertility, right? Because I think, I, yeah, words just matter so much. It's so true. There's, I think there's like a stigma with it. So I was happy that we were considered a part of this support group in this community when you go into a waiting room of a doctor's office like that there's kind of this mentality of like we're all in this together and you end up chatting with people that you don't even know about the most private parts of your life um because everybody's kind of there in the same boat for the same reason and there's kind of this team mentality so i i'm not going to say like i enjoyed the experience but it was definitely like a very pleasant experience um, it wasn't anything that we were fearful or terribly like stressed about because I knew that we were in really good hands and we had a really nice support group. Mm. And I think that's such an important narrative to be sharing because I imagine for a lot of people who are maybe stepping into getting fertility support, there's potentially a lot of fear of what that actually is going to look like. So I'm I'm so happy to hear that, you know, it was a pleasant experience because you felt so supported and because there was a community sort of built in. Yeah. So as, as you were, as you were walking through the fertility support with Kelly yourself, was there any impact that you found? I mean, it sounds like in many ways there was a lot of support. Did you ever find that you experienced anything like anxiety, um, stress? Was there any ever like feelings of grief or loss of control? Um, I think that those are definitely inherent feelings that I felt alongside, um, Kelly, just because when you're dealing with something like that, there's obviously support. There's obviously a million and one people that when you start to talk about it publicly come out of the woodwork and they're like, you know what? I also am going through this. So there's, there's definitely that. But at the end of the day, I think it's human nature to also feel less than when you're going through something that comes so naturally to millions of people around the world 
um, and you're, you kind of look, take a step back and you're like, is there something wrong with me? And medically there very well might be something wrong with you. So you kind of just have to deal with that. And we were very good about rolling with the punches and dealing with the cards that we were dealt. Um, but I think, I think feelings of like stress and anxiety, um, and even anger at some point is completely natural. So talking about that with each other, with our doctors, with our friends and our family, um, was extremely helpful for us. Right. So sort of finding the people who have really sort of like earned the right to be in that sort of vulnerable space with you and utilizing that support system. It sounds like that was a really important piece of all of that for you. Yeah. I think it would have been a lot different had we not had a loving family on both sides you know, behind us and saying like, no matter what happens, you know, everybody, you know, we still love you and, and we're here for you and blah, 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 blah. But, um, it really was an incredible experience. And I'm talking about like before we even decided on adoption, this is just like when we're going through our rounds of infertility tests and things. Um, and Kelly and I quickly realized that we're, even though we're having these struggles and these problems, we are so blessed to be in the position that we're in. Like not everybody has the ability to go to some of like the best doctor for this type of a thing in one of the best cities for, for seeing somebody for this type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the resources and the help that we're able to have. So I, 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 I'm happy to like chat about these things, but then as I'm saying the words that are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, we're so privileged. And I have to acknowledge that because not everybody has the opportunity. Some people just struggle with it and that's the end of it. Right. Um, we're really, really lucky. So in that sense, I all, I, I just feel like we have such a responsibility to like educate the, the following that we do have online about the struggles and, and the things that we're going through, because at the end of the day, we're just, we're really like everybody else. Like everybody has issues that they work through. We just happen to be in this, in this position where we have a platform where we're able to talk about them. So I, I take that um, responsibility to heart. Yeah, but I also hear I also hear you sort of owning and and wanting to acknowledge privilege, right? And the access, the access to resources because, um, like you said, that's that's not everybody's that's not going to be everybody's story and experience. Um, and I feel I hear in you owning that privilege, like you're also owning the responsibility that you have as in in many ways a public figure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so sort of speaking to you and Kelly being in the public eye in these ways, and, you know, you and Kelly have made a career out of bringing, you know, joy to every day, you know, like every day's a holiday. Um, And so when you're, when so much of the work that you're doing is around joy and light and happiness and bringing this to other people while the two of you are navigating something with, with a lot of support, obviously, you know, it sounds like, and, um, with a really great support around you, but again, walking through this thing that may not always be filled with joy and light, right? How, how did the two of you sort of navigate that piece with each other of how much, how much you protect, how much you share? Um, like how did you, how did the two of you as a couple sort of navigate that, those conversations and decisions? I think that we just kind of sat down one day um and we decided to be completely transparent and real 
Um, and this, this kind of, it, it really did like snowball for us in terms of like the amount that we shared about our lives. We sort of, in the very beginning, let people know, you know, I mean, people followed along with us from way before we were even talking about things that this real, it was more superficial things like we're engaged and our audience was there for that. And then we're planning our wedding and our audience celebrated that with us. And now we're getting into the stage of our life where we want to start a family. So it was natural for us to want to share about that part of our life. But then when it came to the fact that we were having issues with it, we, I think Kelly probably just, she, she, she dropped a little bit of a ball on, um, the, the blog, excuse me. Um, Mm-hmm. And it was, I remember she did a post at one point where she was like, listen, this isn't easy for us. Um, and it probably started with her first miscarriage. We had more than one, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and she just kind of shared her story and she didn't hold anything back. Me being her husband, I'm kind of just like along for the ride. But at the end of the day, her blog is from her point of view. Um, and I'm going to be there to support her and whatever she wants to put out there. And I have never seen the type of overwhelming response from people from literally all over the world that, like I said before, just came out of the woodwork and they said, I've gone through this too. And it it was something, it was one of those experiences where I don't think I would have realized the outcome had we not talked about it. Right. Having a miscarriage is something that's devastating for a couple But until you talk about it, I don't think you realize how common it is for other people that are also going through it that might just not be talking about it because they might be ashamed or they're devastated or whatever the reason is. And we were in the position where we were like, let's just own our story and talk about it. And the second we did, there was that transparency and that connectivity with our um, with our audience. And that's not something that can be paid for in terms of like a sponsored post, which a lot of times, you know, brands come to us and we work with them in a capacity of like a brand partnership and, and they want to align themselves with our audience. This was us owning our own story. And you really can't, you, you can't fabricate that kind of connectivity. So once we realized that people were out there and they were listening to what we had to say, and not only that, but they were the things that Kelly was writing about and that we were sharing on our social platforms was affecting other people's lives in a positive way. It it was a turning point for us. So at that point we were like, we really should just share our journey because you never know who's listening. I never know who's out there taking our story. Um, So I think that was really, um, that was really like the beginning for us. And now we, now we're at the point where we share a whole lot of our lives and there's not much that's off limits. And I, I, you know, as, as, as somebody who shares much of my life, I wish I could take some things back. Sure. But I love the fact that we're so open and there's not really a facade. What, what you see is what you get with the two of us and our family. So I think people appreciate that. And I, it, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that when the two of you decided to come and really be like own your story and own the real experience that you're walking through and then the outpouring of connection and people resonating because they themselves have experienced a similar loss. I think that there's such a, there was such a gift in that. And Kelly and I talked a little bit about this um, when we 
recorded our episode because miscarriage and pregnancy loss can be such a silent loss and such a lonely loss for so many reasons. Like you said, there's the shame. Um, sometimes there's also the piece that like people didn't know that you were pregnant. And so that was, it wasn't public. There's not, um, there may, there's probably not a funeral or a ritual around it. Often there isn't. Um, and there wasn't like a person that other people were connected to. It's just, it's, it can be such a lonely, um, a lonely loss myself when, and Kelly and I talked a little bit about this when, um, in between my daughter and my son, when my husband and I had a miscarriage, I mean, I, I really went back and forth on whether or not to share that I had gone through that experience and that we had had that loss. Um, and I shared this in the other episode, but I'm going to share it again, just because if we're talking about it, I, we had gone on a trip and I made a, like a home video. I just, it's a videography is like a, um, something I like to do in my spare time. And I like threw together this little video, um, to announce the pregnancy and, uh, the day, um, I was the day we got back, uh, the day after I went for my um, visit and we saw that the heartbeat had stopped. And um, so then I was like, well, what do I do with this? Like I, at that, I was like, do I never watch it again? Do I delete it? Do I like, you know, right. protect myself from, because every time I, you know, I did allow myself to watch it after we found out and I was, I was, I was in a lot of pain in watching it. Mm-hmm. Um but I ended up sharing it and making that choice um, with my partner. And the level, the amount of support that I felt that I experienced after sharing it with, you know, publicly and publicly for me was with, you know, friends and family. Um, I think that that was such an important component of our healing process um, because then people knew dates, you know, the date that we like our expected due date, people knew the date that I, that we lost the baby. Um, and now those dates are still recognized and like, sim- yeah. So it's just, I think that it can be such a silent and isolating and lonely loss. Um, but when we are willing and able to share it with at least the people who we feel like have earned the right to share it or with whoever we feel the most comfortable sharing it with, um, it can be such a healing component of that experience in the process of grief. So I'm, I'm curious, Jeff, to hear, since you are a man, you are a father, and you know we don't often get to hear from men about um, navigating fertility issues. Um, do you feel like that there are, are there like societal discourses or messages out there that you found yourself coming up against as a man walking through the walking through this experience? Of course. I mean, who isn't taught growing up that you're man enough to, to grow up and, and be responsible for a family. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're here to procreate and, I'm, I grew up in such a close family. So it was, it was all about like carrying on, you know, our last name and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely. And I think like, if there's any sort of like messages around infertility that dads or future dads might come up against, it would be maybe that you're, you're less than, or you're not man enough. Um, and these are of course things that I thought about, um, just because at the time we weren't sure if it's 
Is it Kelly's, uh, you know, medical history past? Is there something wrong with me? Like I said before, I, I like, you don't know until you end up seeing somebody. So when everybody else around you and all of our friends are celebrating these milestones and announcing pregnancies and having kids, and we're sitting here spending thousands of dollars, uh, on doctors and things when other people don't have to do that you're kind of you sit back and you question like what are we doing wrong is there something wrong mm-hmm. um so i think that there there's absolutely feeling there's it's just yeah it's like a feeling of 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 less than um and i think that i once i realized that the light at the end of our tunnel wasn't going to be achieved the way that we were kind of going towards. I changed my tune and I definitely spun it around and there was a lot of positivity at that point, but in the very beginning, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Did at any point, well, yeah, I guess I'm curious to hear from your perspective of how did, how did all of this impact you and Kelly as a couple? You know, I mean, I've, I work with quite a few couples and every, the way that couples, you know, sort of experience this, sometimes it can be something that really brings them together. Sometimes the stress of it can, can be really hard on the couple relationship. Um, what was your experience? I think that a lot of it just has to do, it has to come down with like support, um, and, and, and honesty that you have with one another. We, like I said before, we, we both knew that we wanted to have this, end result of a family. Um, in the very beginning, we were gung ho about doing it biologically and naturally. Um, but very quickly it was, we just want to get there. What, however means possible. Um, but I think you had mentioned this at the beginning of our chat. It's very physical on the woman and not so much me. So Kelly's the one that's on her back in the doctor going through all these tests that are oftentimes really painful. At one point we had a really bad scare and she thought she had an ectopic pregnancy and she had to go into a a pretty emergency surgery. And these are things that all happened for us privately that she then later shared. Um, But in that instance, my wife's the one in the hospital gown and I'm the nervous person pacing around the waiting room for hours, not knowing if I have a viable pregnancy, if there's a pregnancy at all, is, does Kelly, is she dealing with a a ruptured fallopian tube? Like there's so many things that are way more risky and dangerous for the woman that I end up just falling into this very supportive, um, role. Um, and I think it brought us a lot closer and I think it helped us focus on what we wanted as kind of this, this end result and, and were all of these hardships and painful experiences worth um, doing over and over again to, to, to not really turn up anything except more money spent and more, um, uh, you know, anguish in our life. Yeah. And it was, and I'm just, you know, recalling from my conversation with Kelly that it was, it was after, um, and rem- tell me if I'm wrong, but was it soon after that scare with the ecto- with the possible ectopic pregnancy? Um, mm-hmm. And I remember Kelly sharing that they ended up not finding anything, so there was also that sense of like 
you don't really know what's what's happening or what happened. Um, Correct. Was it? There was a lot of there was a lot of speculation going into it, and a lot of I don't think our doctors necessarily did anything wrong, but they were just taking precaution. They were doing what they thought was best at the time. So, to best um, assess what was going on in her body, they they thought that having this surgery was um, was necessary. So seeing her wheeled out after the surgery to find out that they didn't even find anything. We looked at each other at that point and we said, we're done. This was like the last straw for us. Yeah. No, I remember her sharing that. And so was it when you, when the two of you look at each other and say, we're done. Um, I mean, was adoption like the next sentence, you know, like the next thought or, or what did that, what did that process look like to decide? A weekend. Um, I think we went to Palm Springs. Yeah. Um, and we just, sat on the idea of adoption and we realized that this could, if we keep going down this path, it could just be more money spent for us. It could just be years of hardship. Um, and even if we did get pregnant, which we did twice, we didn't even know if Kelly's body would be able to handle a pregnancy right. because again, she didn't even have, still doesn't have a stomach or uh, a, a digestive system that would have been able to support a human life. Um, so our doctors explained to us in, in the very beginning, even if we did get to that point and the odds were against us already, if we did get to that point, she might not even be able to carry the term. So we were like, why are we doing this? So we kind of realized that adoption was a light, almost a guaranteed light at the end of this really dark tunnel that we were on. Um, there's so many kids around the world that need homes. And there's so many birth mothers around the world that for whatever reason are not able to raise a child on their own. And here we are and a, a loving family wanting to accept a child into our life. Why wouldn't we go down that path? Cause at the end of the day, we just wanted to be parents mm. in the very beginning. Honestly, yes, I really was sad about the fact that, I might not have a child walking around biologically mine who looked like me, who had my genetics, who as he was growing up year after year, I could see my own traits and my child passed down genetically. Yeah. Um, but that quickly falls to the wayside now that I look back. And I don't remember that my son is adopted until other people bring it up to me. I don't see the fact that he has a different skin color until other people bring it up to me. And I know that I, I personally have to work on that because I can't go through life colorblind. I think that's a disservice to him. But um, once we realized that it, it, that was the path for us, we didn't, we, there was no looking back. I just, as you were speaking, I was getting goosebumps and chills just because I know I, as you were talking about the light at the end of the tunnel, I was like picturing Arlo and like knowing that the light happened, right? That you're living in that light space now. Um, yeah. To think back to like all of our doctor's appointments and like the fact that he wasn't even here yet and how much our lives were going to change for the better. And all we had to do was walk out the door and just go in a different direction. I think we would have stopped much earlier on. You brought up something that I think is so is so important and that Kelly and I didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, and you talked about your son's 
the color of his skin being different from yours. And um, so Arlo's Mexican. He is. And you you talked about how being colorblind would be a disservice to him. Um, Can you speak a little bit more about how you and Kelly are hoping to approach parenting as it relates to the fact that he he is Mexican and, and the two of you are white? Totally. I mean, I think it just comes down to educating both ourselves and him as he grows up. Um, We're really, really, really lucky in that we live in such an amazing, diverse city here where Kelly and I are actually the minority. I think there's probably more people that look like my son Mm -hmm. around us than people that look like us. So growing up for him, I'm hoping that he acknowledges that. And I'm hoping that he, I'm hoping that we're able to to put him in environments where he's surrounded by people that look like him, if that makes sense. And I think there's a, I think there's a term in like the whole adoption world. Kelly mentioned it the other day where it's something about like mirroring, I think it was yeah, called. I think I saw that post. Was she talking about? I think she was talking about the two of you and your hopes of, of adopting another child. And there was, a, there was, a, she mentioned mirroring, I think. Right? Yeah. 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 That's probably, yeah, totally. So that is something that we're also conscious of um, just because we do want to have more kids. And if we are able to, I would love to adopt another Mexican child, whether they look very much like Arlo, have a different shade of skin, just so he has somebody within our home that looks like him. So when the questions start when he's older, he has someone else there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also really lucky in that we have a ton of friends and and loved ones that are of Mexican descent. Um, and they are all people that are going to be able to help him and hopefully answer questions when he gets older, because there's a lot that he's going to go through in life that I unfortunately am not going to be able to relate to. If he's walking down the street and he gets looked at a certain way that I might not get looked at a certain way. Sure. I can, I can hug him and and tell him that he's going to be fine, but I'm never going to be in his skin. Mm. So there's, there's an education portion that's going to come with his upbringing for both us and for him. Um, the other thing that we're really blessed about is that we have an amazing relationship with his birth mother. And for her, for her privacy, um, we don't ever speak about her in, in great detail, but, um, we vowed that we as a family would learn Spanish growing up so that he is able to communicate. Um, with his birth family at some point, should he choose to do that. Um, These are just decisions that we never thought that we would be making, but I can't, I just feel it's just, there is no other way. There, there is no other way than, than just educating our family that some of our kids are going to look different from us. All of our kids are going to look different from us. If we end up just going the adoption route a hundred percent. So yeah, it's been it's been a learning curve, but we've also really enjoyed it. I think it's been it's been fun. Um, I mean, and you know my wife, she loves celebrations and holidays, so she's having a blast learning about 
you know, Mexican culture and what they celebrate and how, how important family, for example, is to, um, that culture. So I think we're really enjoying like the learning process. I mean, watching because, because you share a lot of your life on online, on social media, we, you know, we, I, we get to watch and I mean, Jeff, it just, it really seems like you really, really love fatherhood. And so much. And I know, but you also, you're also pretty honest about how it's not easy, right? And I think that sometimes when becoming a parent is not easy, right? And then you become, and so there's so much work and intention and money that goes into becoming a parent. But then once you, for some people, once they become a parent, when it took all that effort, it can feel like, well, now I can't ever complain about how hard it is, right? Um, I've so I don't know. I just I've, I've appreciated your your openness of also the fact that it's not all like rainbows and rainbows, you know. Well, I have to stay, stay, we've got to stay on brand, you know. So rainbows and rainbows. Oh, no, I, I always appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, no, totally. I mean, if like I said before, like transparency is key. Like whether we're talking about like our personal brands or whatever, like just transparency, a hundred percent. Um, like it, it was weird in the beginning when we were sharing moments with Arlo and I would get messages from people and they're like, he seems like the happiest kid. He never cries. You never show him crying. And I'm like, yeah, I never show him crying. He's a, he's a baby. Of course he cries. He's a toddler. Of course he whines and cries. Um, I just choose not to always show it because internally I'm like, if he ever looked back, am I, is he going to be like embarrassed by the things that I am putting out there publicly? Mm-hmm. Um, so we really just make a conscious effort to be real. But at the end of the day, I don't want to ever put anything out there that I regret. So it's all usually pretty tame. Yeah. 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 And, all, you know, I mean, you're probably not, you know, in the middle of, uh, you know, very normal you know, one-year-old tantrum, you're not like pulling your phone out to be like, well, let's capture this moment, you know? And so it's like, I don't know. I mean, I think we all have to remember that social media is in many ways like the highlight reels, right? And it's just like these small portions of our lives. Um, But yeah, I think it was the other day you were at the grocery store, like, (laughs) like getting beer and you're like this, I just need this after the day of parenting I had today or something like that. Oh yeah. When I was like hiding in the alcohol aisle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was literally doing a story and somebody came up and they were like, are you Jeff? And I was like, oh my God, I'm I'm so embarrassed right now. But yeah. (laughs) Hiding in the liquor aisle. (laughs) That's me. Just. Don't mind me. Yeah. So my last question for you, Jeff, is um, what did you, what do you feel like you've learned about yourself um, as a human being um, through your path to becoming a father? That's really a great question. Um, I say it every day, but I learned that I need to be more patient, just ongoing. Patience is something like the number one thing that I need to work on my entire life. I, I've been probably the most impatient person I've ever met. Um, and that just really does not fly with a toddler. Um, and I'm sure it's just going to get worse as we grow the family. So I just, I see a lot of how I react 
to things. And oftentimes I react very quickly and I need to just take a step back and realize that there may be, there is a, a communication barrier. He's still learning to communicate. So when he doesn't get something the first time or the sixth time, I can't get frustrated and I need to be a little bit more grounded and patient. So that would be like the number one thing. Yeah, I imagine that becoming a father, right? Like your journey to Arlo, there were so many moments probably where like patience was forced or like there, like there was no other option but patience. And so oh my gosh, absolutely. I wonder how much of that prepared you, you know, for... for totally. I mean, I can think of a million examples of like, when's our next doctor's appointment? Like, is it on the calendar? Can it come quicker? Right. When can we do the next IUI injection? Like there's there was so many times where I was like, I just, I just wanted to get to that next doctor's appointment and push the ball forward. And yeah, absolutely. And I, I, it, I just need to work on that. Um, other than that, I think there was just a realization that like, I'm worthy and I'm enough and I don't necessarily need to have biological children to feel fulfilled in my life. I love being a dad more than anything else I've ever experienced. And I didn't get there the traditional way, but I'm here and I still have soccer practice with my kid on Saturday mornings and he still throws food at me every night and I give him a bath and we sing and it's the best in the entire world. And I did not know that I was going to be in this position when we were stressed out in bed talking about our fears years ago when we couldn't get there naturally. So I think that was like a huge realization for me. It just, I want to say right now that for anybody who's listening and is hearing your words right now, that if they are man or woman, husband or wife, um, going through, you know, experiencing fertility struggles or issues, um, I hope that they hear your words, that they are, that they are worthy and that there are, there's support out there and they're worthy of that support, um, and that those issues and struggles are not a reflection of their worthiness. Um, gosh, I mean, that's just, those are powerful words. Thank you, Jeff, for sharing those. Of course. So, Jeff, where can people continue to follow, or if they, if they aren't already following, where can they follow your story? Um, so I'm just at my name across all social platforms, at Jeff Mundell. Um, my wife has a blog called Studio DIY, which is quickly evolving to just become like a family blog in addition to all of the other fun things that she covers throughout the year, like crafts and costumes and the products and everything. Um, so you can follow along with our family adventures at studiodiy.com. Um, but yeah, other than that, the, the connections that I've made through social have just been amazing. And if any of your listeners out there ever have any questions or just, you know, need somebody to talk to, I'm always happy to, chat and connect. I'm an open book. And I just, I shared this with Jeff before we started recording, but I, I just feel like it's, I want to share it here too, is that um, you, I, I, I told you when we first got, I was like, Jeff, you were so responsive to my emails. And I just, I just had this sense of like, I don't know, you're, um, you, you, you really show up for people. Um, and you are, you care about the work that you're doing and you care about the community that you're building around you. And it just, it was so reflected in how responsive you were to me. And I don't know, I just, I, I imagine that 
um, brands that work with you or anybody that connects with you would probably have that very similar experience I did in reaching out. So I just, I, I, I think that what you're saying is not, you're not just saying it, like you really do show up for the people around you. So. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Jeff, this was so this was so nice getting to chat. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I will be sure to put um, all the social media handles and websites and things that you mentioned in the podcast notes for anybody who's listening. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.